Hi, I'm Daniel Lucas. Thank you for joining Chasing Energy. By day and by trade, I'm a VP of Innovation. I spent a little over a decade as an ultra-endurance athlete doing things like Ironman and uh, long-distance trail running. Now my focus is on helping you to achieve more energy in your life. Now I do that through three things, nutrition, training, and mindset. Now today's guest, we're gonna mostly focus on uh, training and mindset. He was the only coach I ever hired as a runner and I did it during near the end of my running, uh, ultra running time. He was very effective and I highly recommend him as a coach. We're actually gonna do some gait analysis in the near future because I am rebuilding my stride and that's a story for another podcast. It's been a long and humbling journey to do this. Uh, the nutshell of it is it was about a constant back pain and I've had to sort of rebuild that. What are the things we cover today? Well, Nicodemus De La Rosa is my guest today and he has won the Barkley Marathon. And it is no joke. If you want to look up, there's Netflix documentaries about this race. I know people who have participated in this race and they will tell you that it's hard to relay just how difficult that marathon is. And by the way, just so you know, it's not a marathon. It's actually over a hundred miles in some of the most brutal, unforgiving terrain you can possibly imagine. People come from all over the world to compete and uh, they generally get humbled when they do. So uh, for Nicodemus to have done as well as he did, not only the, the year he won, but he, we, we covered the year that he went in there at around 18, 19 years old and was able to complete uh, three loops, which is amazing in and of itself. Um, so we do talk about that. Now, he has so many other races to his credit. If you wanna just go to Ultra Sign Up and look at some of the other amazing long distance races he's done, some of the hardest in the world, you're welcome to do so. For the purposes of this interview, I mostly wanted to focus on how that changed his life and how he kind of views the resilience that's needed for these type of things and, and applying it to other parts of his life. He talks a lot about balance. And in fact, he is mostly, I could tell, but if you read between the lines with Nicodemus, he's very focused on balance, like how he met his wife and, and since he's met his wife and been dealing with some of his anxiety and depression, he's become a much better person. Uh, and in no, uh, no coincidence, he's also become a better athlete in the process. So we do talk about grit, self-identity. We talk about his open heart surgery and the depression that was uh, sort of linked to that. Training by the amount of hours and heart rate is kind of his approach as a coach, and I found it to be very effective. In fact, after he coached me, I, I sort of integrated that into my training. We do uh, end the interview talking about the different types of wide shoes. That, And by the way, I highly recommend that if you don't wear wide shoes, at least look into it because there's a lot of benefits to uh, making sure your foot has room to breathe and grow. I hope you enjoy this episode of Chasing Energy with Nicodemus De La Rosa. It's something I've been looking forward to bringing to you for actually since I started the podcast. I've really wanted to bring him to this, so I'm honored to do that. If you could honor me and uh, post a review wherever you listen to podcasts, because I make sure that this is streamed to all the different platforms, I would love a review. Uh, tag me on Instagram uh, at DP Lucas and just let me know, and I'll be glad to read your review on the air. I really appreciate that you have so many other podcasts sitting in your feed right now, and you're taking the time to listen to this one. I hope you get a good sense of value from it. I have some other guests coming up, and I hope to continue to uh, improve and add little tidbits of wisdom to your life that make it more fulfilling. Thank you for listening to Chasing Energy. Nicodemus De La Rosa, welcome to Chasing Energy. Glad to have you here today. Thank you so much. Really honored to be here. Uh, awesome, awesome to be a guest on your podcast. Mm -hmm. Which part of Arizona are you coming from? I live in Sedona, Arizona, right in the middle of uh, all the vortices and good healing energy. So vortices, yeah. I was I was at the Grand Canyon last year, and if anytime you looked up like Airbnb experience or uh, it, like half of them were involved the shaman, uh, okay, to, to help you get your energy in line. I will say, uh, Grand Canyon is uh, you definitely feel a presence. Um, 
of being like where you fit in the universe is being like super small and oh it's a it's an amazing place it's it's a nice place to go with your anxieties and your and your problems and then stand at the edge of a giant hole like that and be like wow I could get crushed that's, by any of these giant great, rocks. That's a great <laughs> Nicodemus. I was at a very pivotal point in my life. My father was at the very end of his life. And I made this, I was really, when I did this trip, I was like, I hope I can get back in time. And uh, it turned out to be a very cathartic experience for me. Credit to uh, Joby Williams, a friend of mine, who put that trip together with me and some friends. And it was just such an amazing experience. I'm, I'm holding on to it, man. That's one of the good ones. Mm. So... We got we got a lot to cover here. I, I want to start with what you're probably asked uh, a lot about, and um, I've got this interview broken down into a couple of different things, including um, we're going to do a little bit about your racing, but not much. And okay. I want to talk about um, grit a little bit, and then gait gait analysis near the end. So let's start with uh, I want to know when. The first time you went to Barkley Fall Classic, if I recall correctly, it's been several years, but you were one of the you were like the sacrificial lamb, correct? Yeah, the first time I went to uh, Barkley, uh, not the not the Fall. I've never been to the Barkley Fall Classic, uh, but Bar the I'm big yeah, I'm, I'm big big Barkley as people refer to it. Um, yeah, but uh, Cor- correction, I just read your I just I had just read your Instagram post about right, the right, Fall yeah. <laughs> someone you coached yeah. someone through it, yeah, I'm sorry. yeah, go yeah. Ahead. Go ahead. No, 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 no worries. But um, yeah, the, the first time that I had showed up at Barkley, um. I'd been notified that I had gained entry into the event about a week before, um, and uh, as a result of that, due to both my age, I think I was 20 at the time. No, I was 19. 20, no, I was 20 at the time of the race. Uh, I remember that because all the guys went out for a drink after the race, and, and I couldn't I couldn't go with them still. And um, yeah, uh, that, that first, both due to my short notification and my young age, I was labeled the, the sacrificial virgin of the year. So that was in 2011. Yeah. And how many loops did you get that year? I got three. So I got in a fun run, uh, which was yeah. enough to impress Laz and, and you'd be like, whoa, that guy's not a sacrifice. That's a, that's a guy who wants it. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's a, that's an, that's an entree. Yeah, exactly. All right. So, uh, I want to know when, when you won, uh, was it the next, the following year you ran or the year after that? Well, it wasn't until 2013. So 20, 2012, I went back with a whole lot of ego and bravado and a whole lot of uh, my expectations uh, were through the roof. And my my reality of what I'd done for training was maybe similar to what I'd done the previous year, maybe a little bit better. But my expectations were through the roof. And, um, and I ran a really silly race where I got lost a whole bunch and frustrated a whole bunch. And... Um, you know, I, I think I had the potential to finish that year along with John Feggy, Brett Mon, and Jared Campbell. Um, but I, I, you know, threw it away with just getting lost and frustrated way too much. Okay. Okay. And then the next time? <clears throat> and then 2013, yeah, was when I went back and I had this nice balance of uh, just just life and everything like that. Uh, I just started a relationship with my now wife um, and had a couple of different jobs that I was working was just out of college. So running wasn't the only thing in life that I was doing. And it struck this nice little um, patch where, where I didn't, I, I had a lot of internal pressure, but not so much. I, I kind of describe it as having this correct balance between fear and respect. Um, you know, uh, a healthy amount of fear for the event, uh, respecting the event and then, and then confidence, but not overconfidence. And it was, it was a time in my life, uh, when I just struck a little perfect window of that enough to finish Barkley. So my, my first real question for you here is how did that change? What were your life plans before and after winning that race? Mm. How did it, how did winning that race change your outlook over the next several years? Yeah. Um, it was kind of a Mount Everest thing, uh, in the respect of like, you know, it was, it was like, uh, I'd done bad water. I'd done, um, quite a few other events and stuff at that point and had really been searching since I was like 18, 19 years old for the world's toughest event, the world's hardest event to, yeah. I, I guess, prove myself at. And then, and then finally in 2013 accomplished Barkley and did that. And then it was kind of, um, not a letdown, but 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 uh, immediately following that was uh, again this kind of expect this egotistical expectation showing up. I remember Leona Divide fifty less than a month later, and uh, San Diego one hundred less than like three months later. 
um, still totally burned out from Barclays, still completely under recovered and everything and showing up at those events, um, thinking, you know, well, oh, I deserve to win this. Oh, I'm going to crush this thing. Oh, these people don't know who I am. I'm a Barclays finisher. I'm going to crush you. And, and this unknown guy at the time, Rob Carr, who's, you know, one of the better ultra runners uh-huh. in the world shows up and he's, I ran with him a tiny bit at, at Northern Arizona University at a track club together. And then I was like, oh, shoot, he got into ultras. Uh-oh. Uh oh, this was his debut 50 miler. And he just blew the blew the course record off the yeah. off the charts there at the uh, Leona Divide 50. And um, and just uh, so so there were a couple events like that where I kind of got knocked back into into reality of like, OK, I'm I'm may have finished Barkley, but I'm not the top of the world. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, and then in terms of overall outlook, yeah, it's it was interesting. Um, yeah, it was. I don't know. It was, it was, it was a mix. It was it, it Tour de Giants, which I did in, um, which I, which I did that September. Um, and then, uh, I, I performed really well at that one. Yeah, go ahead. Our, yeah. And our, these are more about your races. I want to know what, in terms of your outlook on life. Oh, my, my outlook on life. Yeah. 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 Any, good, yeah. good, good, good challenge plans, question. Life plans. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, what did I do? I left my job at uh the leukemia and lymphoma society where i was doing school assemblies for kids and stuff um for that organization um that job was up at the end of the school year in june and then i stopped immediately after barkley working as a personal trainer um and then kind of gave up both of those jobs to pursue or what I thought at the time I was like, okay, I'm going to pursue ultra running like entirely. And I'm just going to be an ultra runner and I'm going to give up on trying to move out of my parents' place. And I'm just going to live here for now. And so I have a flexible job or so I told myself I'm going to work listing comic books and, um, and listed my stepdad's over, overstock um, comic books through his garage. And it it made money. It made enough money to get by living at your parents' place. Um, and then, and then the races were, um, obviously sort of, uh, sponsored, but, um, lo- looking, looking real quick yeah, back, I can see your, back I can at see that your title on LinkedIn being some LinkedIn being something along the lines of independent reseller. Independent yeah, 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 yeah. Reseller. Yeah. Um, looking back on that though, with kind of a critical eye, I, I would say, you know, some, something like that, if an athlete, does something like that to sort of be beware in the regard of how much that uh, my sort of uh, having done it myself is don't quit your day job um, in the regard of like you're putting all your eggs in one basket and I began to put all my eggs in one basket in terms of my athletic identity uh, post post Barkley um, yeah and, and ultra is a very hard sport to make any money I mean, yeah oh ab- absolutely no there's 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 no there's no you're 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 not making a bank in, in this in this sport and um so it was, it was a weird time post Barkley. Um, yeah, I mean, you could argue with something like golf. There's there's a little bit more of a income possibilities if you're a pretty good golfer with, with being, being like a golf pro and and still making the tour. But with running, it's 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 very difficult to secure that sort of foundation. Yeah, there's I mean, uh, there's like people on one hand that make make a living off of it. So yeah, absolutely. And I wanted so to mention. I wanted to mention last thing real quick yep. on, on, on Barkley, uh, finishing it in 2013. Um, it was five days after the race, uh, that my heart was feeling funky and I was like, Oh, I'm having not trouble breathing, but my heart just feels kind of funky. I should go get this checked out. And I went, and I got it checked out. Yep. And that was when I got my first time, uh, diagnosis of a, uh, bicuspid aortic valve, um, which eventually okay. would lead to an aneurysm, which is where I got my heart surgery later on. And this is the pericardium, is that correct? Uh, the bicuspid aortic valve, um, and the pericardium's the uh, uh, piece of it, the piece of the heart that covers the covers the heart, encapsulates okay. the heart. But yeah. Okay, so that was the first hint. Did when did they tell you as far? Let's let's go into your heart. Um, sure. Did they tell you what mix of nurture versus nature this is? Like how much of that is genetic versus running the yeah, almost entirely uh, nature uh, versus versus nurture. So almost this this is entirely something I inherited. That's a genetic disorder that that happens in occasional people. Okay. So it's bicuspid aortic valvular disorder (BAVD). Um, the doctors at the time, I don't think there's enough research done on it. Um, I don't think there's enough. If if there is, um, 
then then I I have not stumbled across it myself and don't don't claim to be the expert on this whatsoever. But um, on on how much running or aerobic training does impact the uh, growth of things such as aneurysms in okay. folks who have BAVD. Okay. So let's let's talk a little bit about that um, because I I know that when <laughs> in my very humble years as a ultra runner, because I, I was not much of a podium person, but what I do think we could relate on is I struggled, uh, when, you know, you're, I'm a father and then I had a day job and all this stuff and you're training and you're out there and you hit those wall. And I would ask myself, what is the point of doing these things? And the answer that I would generally get from the divine was that it was to prepare me for what was ahead of me in life. Do you feel like the, um, Barkley prepared you for what was ahead of you with the the, the heart problems. Hmm, that's a good question. Um, hmm, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna, like, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna sadly answer. Is, yeah, <laughs> go, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I was just gonna say I'm, I'm gonna sadly answer. I'm gonna sadly answer. No, I think uh, I think at, at the time in Barkley, I was so in. In a world of Barkley, I was so in a little world of it meant it meant nothing more than uh, yeah. I wasn't I wasn't thinking. What I mean. Yeah, what I mean is like, how does the mental half uh, resilience, grit, and things like that of training for an ultra prepare you for these type of life Hmm. I would like to say it translates again, um, but in that respect, for 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 for, for me personally, um, I, and and I've heard that come to me from multiple sources before like oh you're so good at hundreds wow you must be able to persist through anything oh you must be tough enough to get through anything wow you finished Barkley you must be able to persist through like job applications and have this amazing will and determination and and it doesn't for, for me personally it, it it's never translated to um you know having a phenomenal work ethic or having a phenomenal discipline um is that am I kind yeah. of scratching the right itch there um, I think so, and and in fact, let me add to your point here. I I find I I can't I find it very hard to fathom that people can train and do ultras and still do something that requires an extreme amount of willpower outside of that at the same time. For example, mm -hmm. if you just got into a new a new job role or something like that, and it's going to require like you know a hundred percent of your mental capacity during those extended working hours, and then adding in an ultra on top of that. I don't know how people do that. Uh, I've always, I've always kind of looked at it as if, if I'm going to do an ultra, it's going to require my willpower will be like leftovers in the microwave. Right. Like, when I, whatever's left after that. Yeah. Yeah. I find that at, at individuals like kind of like Brett Mounty, um, really, really, um, uh, inspirational in that regard then. And here's a guy who's got a family, he's got uh, a job, um, yeah. you know, the education of a nuclear physicist and, works somewhere in the agricultural world now out in Boulder, but then has the Barclay record and um, is really able to, I don't, I wouldn't say he's able to balance all three of those. I, I know him personally, but, but is able to achieve these things still, uh, which is, which yeah. is amazing. That's well stated. That's very well stated. Um, the, the, the last thing I'll add to that point and then we'll move on is uh, one of my uh, Achilles heel. And it, I don't think, uh, I don't presume most people have this problem, but uh, you were saying that when you did the hundreds, people just assume that you can just fire through all these other things that are outside of racing. And I, I can relate to you because um, it, I, I tell people one of my, the, the things about me is I have a hard time starting stuff effectively. Um, my sort of superpower is once I've committed and I've started something, I have a very, very hard time quitting. Mm. So, to put that in perspective, if you want to just do a practical training analogy, um, if we agree, Nicodemus, if you and I agree to do like a 30-mile run on a Saturday, and we're on our way to the run, you could talk me out of it pretty easy. You could <laughs> you could actually on the drive go, you know what, let's go out to eat and then walk at the park. And I probably wouldn't put up too much of a fight, depending on how committed I was to that. If there was a race on the calendar, I might be. But once I've started... I have a very hard time stepping off, and even even in cases where it makes more sense to. Hmm. So I'll leave it at that and say you're right. There are a lot of things where it doesn't transpose directly. Where yeah, I mean, for crying out loud, I mean, I, I know you mentioned Goggins a lot, and we will get into him, but I don't yeah. think he, his stuff transposes very well to life. I think he's good at doing what he does, 
but he's not actually good at the life part of, of those things. Sure. Being yeah. The husband, father, and all around person. Um, so one of the things we talked about in terms of your maturing identity uh, is that you used to have your self-worth tied to your running. And you kind of alluded to that just a few moments ago when you were talking about going back to Barclay for revenge. Um, talk to me about after the surgery, what type of self-worth um, methodology or mindset do you bring to your training and racing? Hmm. So, so it's sort of several phases of my life there. Um, pre-surgery, you know, self-worth, uh, which just to get a kind of broad definition out there, like how, how we appraise our, um, our existence, our, 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 our meaningness, our, our essence, how we, how we see ourselves as worthy or not. Um, I don't know if that mm -hmm. paints any sort of good definition on it, but, um, Wish I had a, wish I had a better psychological definition, but, uh, the value with which we appraise ourselves. Um, and so, um, you, you can assign a lot of words to that, but I think the generic term is self-efficacy. Yeah. 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 So, so self-efficacy is a great one too. How, how much we sort of the self-efficacy definition that I get is, is sort of how much we trust ourselves or how much we believe in ourselves. Um, yeah. Um, with that, I've got a lot of ideas spinning around in my head. Steve Magnus just wrote this great book, um, "Do Hard Things," uh, I like that, Steve uh, Magnus. Yeah. Um, that I'm that I'm reading through, and this uh, chapter that I'm on is talking all about and, this. And that's so. a, <laughs> Nicodemus. Nicodemus, yeah. that's a great example of someone who's taken running and applied it to so many different areas. Oh, he's principles. he's done a wonderful job. Yeah, yeah, he's done a wonderful job. Uh, I mean, he's partnered with some entrepreneurs in some of his books that I've read, and you're right, he he delivers really well. Yeah, yeah. Um, so thinking on that concept of self worth and how is it, where was it sort of positioned? Is your question post post surgery? Yes. So, what is your, how is your self worth uh, in your methodology for like what you think of when you think of Nicodemus? How do you deal mm. with that post surgery versus pre surgery in terms of your yeah. performance or whatever it is you're you're taking on? So, so post surgery, current, currently to this, to this day and present, you know, I'm able to, uh, like at the Kodiak 100, it was nice. Um, so that was the, the 100 miler that I just did first time post surgery, um, a little less than a month ago. Um, mm -hmm. you know, I was able to finish that with my self worth. Like it was cool to get second place. Um, it was nice. It was like really like uh, icing on the cake to be able to be competitive still, a little bit unexpected, to be honest, in some ways. Um, and, um, at the same time, like it was, it went back to normal the set the next day, like the Nick, who I was on Thursday before the race, who's, you know, excited about the race and, uh, what's going to happen, what's going to happen. Uh, and then the Nick, who's, you know, getting the second place award on, on Saturday. And then the Nick who's cleaning animal cages and, you know, uh, I don't know, whatever, making dinner for, for my wife and I, you know, on Tuesday night, um, that's all the same Nick. Um, and it's not, there's no value really the, 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 worth of that Nick is the same throughout all of those, irregardless of the results. Yeah. Um, so that's the pro and the con, right? Is that yeah. your wife looks at you and says, Oh, well, I'm, I'm glad you did that. I'm proud of you. And then it's right back to business as normal. But the pro of that is that regardless of how you do in that race, you come home and she's like, mm. I'm still proud of you. And, and mm. so, I mean, I know what you mean when I, you come home, especially in my case, the kids, they're, they don't give a rip what I have. Yeah. <laughs> they could not. Yeah. Less. Yeah. So the, the, the message I do with my family is just go ahead and assume nobody cares and that you're just doing it for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting, um, yeah, I mean, and it was very contrary to pre-surgery for me, which was again, assuming that everybody care over praising my matter to everybody else and thinking, you know, oh, this, yeah. this must matter to everyone. And that, which was why, you know, I, when I came home from, um, uh, tour de Gions in 2014, I remember being yeah. depressed for a yeah, week absolutely. or two. Um, I was, I was second place at that race. Doesn't everyone yeah. in America know and care that I was second place at this race? Yeah. I was only American, never do this, blah, 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 blah. And, uh, and being depressed for a week or two that like, no one knows me. No media picked me up. No, I run far. No, this, no, that. And it was just like, I was like, why doesn't anyone care? And, um, 
and yeah, just to have been more in that mind, uh, certainly, certainly pre-surgery, uh, that's a, that's a lot more, at least where my mind was in some ways. Yeah. Uh, funny thing on that, uh, no matter how many races I did and how I did, um, I could not get my parents to care. And this is in my earlier days where I thought, surely one of these, they're going to be like super impressed. The local magazine at some point put me on the front cover. I didn't think it was that big a deal, to be honest. They walked around with that magazine. <laughs> so it, I, I couldn't understand the, the yeah. logic of that. I was like, well, that I did. That didn't take any work at all. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it meant more to them. Anyways, um, let's talk a little bit about grit. Historically, you said your focus was finishing at all costs. And, um, you know, kind of a Goggins mindset, um, which... I feel like Goggins is one of those people who's a mixed bag when it comes to ultra running. When people are like, do you, you know, they find out you run ultras and they're like, do you know David Goggins? Have you read David Goggins? And I feel like yeah. not everybody has to break all the bones in their feet to finish a race. Right, That's right, right. Who aren't very smart. But um, let's talk about um, with grit. Historically, you were talking about finish finishing at all costs. And currently, you think about things like self-compassion and what will get you further in life. And giving yourself grace. Uh, yeah. Specifically, uh, I'll, I'll make this, I'll give you a softball question since I've given you some hard ones. Um, no, sure. Your thoughts on self-compassion and kindness in the Kodiak 100. Uh, tell mm. us a little bit about the two, the dichotomy of your thoughts. Mm. One of classic Nicodemus uh, being a little bit of a self-critic, which is something mm-hmm. I struggle with immensely. And yeah. then the one in the journal entry that is saying I'm pa- practicing self-compassion and kindness during yeah. this event. Yeah. I, I, my, my first thought is I don't think we're ever going to get rid of the self-critic. Um, you know, I think that that's something that we're, that we're inherently with it's back there in part of your limbic system as a protector, mm-hmm. as a survival mechanism to mm-hmm. scope and see everything in the world as, as potentially dangerous as a potential threat. Um, specifically for me, it's sort of an old thought pattern when that came up during the Kodiak 100, being, being able, one, being able to have that awareness at all that it is a thought pattern in the first place rather than uh, what would, what used to happen was that thought pattern would come up, it would take the driver's seat, and then it would drive my actions and behaviors towards whatever the heck it wanted to go to, often moving faster or uh, something along those lines fueled by anger and fear and that kind of a thing. Um and, uh, yeah, uh, these days I have the awareness to, uh, the mindfulness and awareness to notice, oh, that thought pattern's coming up. Um, I'm feeling, I'm feeling unsettled. Uh, oh, there's that feeling of, um, oh, I'm feeling, uh, inadequate as I begin to, as I begin to cramp right now and five, six people just passed me. Oh, here's a feeling of inadequacy and less than, um, hmm. Man, it's okay to feel okay. It's, it's, it's okay to feel inadequate and less than sometimes. This, this, this feeling will pass. Um, you're doing the best that you can right now. You're doing, you're doing the most that you can right now. And I know you're trying your best. And there's this gentle voice, uh, that's honestly probably sounds a bit like Kristen Neff, who's the, um, author of a lot of self-compassion books. Um, and, uh, and it just kind of comes over me and it's just a nice, gentle, soothing voice that, that exactly like you said, you know, it's giving myself grace. It's giving myself the space and ability to walk, to move slower for a little bit if I need to, to walk if I want to. And it's funny, uh, you would think by, by exposing that weakness and exposing that vulnerability, yeah. the irony there is, you know, by exposing that, oh, you're just going to be a weak, you're just going to be a loser. You're just going to be, you're just going to slow down and stop and want to quit then if you, if you, if you allow yourself to walk or whatever, if you're not tough on yourself, which is the, uh, narrative that I'd given myself for so many years, you know, don't, don't be weak, show no weakness, um, that kind of crap. And, um, that's not crap. There, there's, there's a time and a place for it perhaps, but, um, uh, it's funny though, in, in giving yourself self-compassion saying, okay, I'm, I'm allowing myself to walk if I want to, the likelihood, the statistical probability that you will walk is way less uh, then if you show no weakness, push hard, push hard, push hard, where you will reach a point eventually where your body will give up and you will walk. And when you do walk, you will, you will slingshot between a, uh, I don't know, maybe a nine minute mile where you over pushed yourself at, and then you'll slingshot to like a 30 minute mile down dejected and depressed where it's very hard to climb out of versus if we're self-compassionate with ourselves, we can be a lot steadier, uh, in our effort. And that was, um, 
what I managed to pull off at Kodiak. So let's let's talk about that analogy because I, I like that, and I don't know if you've ever assigned a a name to that person. By the way, that's that's an exercise that you can do at some point. But where when you start to hear that narrative, you go, "Oh, that's angry Nick or or yeah. loud Nick." Um, but the the point I'm getting at here is you were using the driving analogy, which I I, I like that analogy. I've used that one before. Um, you need both of those people in the car, right? Yeah. There's certain times where where angry Nick needs to be at the wheel because <laughs> you're like, oh, okay, there's there's not really a good reason for me to be holding back at this point. But there's also mm-hmm. points where where you need you need the graceful Nick at the wheel that says it's okay, and mm-hmm. if you can listen to me for a little while. I'll hand it over to angry Nick for the last five miles and you can fight to that. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I, I see it as, um, you know, you talk about it being like, um, uh, I mean, I, I'm trying to think of the name of the author, the, the, uh, art of the obstacles, the way the obstacle. Well, Ryan, Ryan Holiday Holiday. Is pretty good about that stuff. Okay. No, but he, he was inspired by this guy. I'll think of the guy to come to me in a minute. But the point yeah. is he, he dubs it called he dubs it the resistance. And the point of the resistance is to always critique yourself. And and the author's point is no matter where you go, you could go to Mars, you will never get rid of the resistance. It is part of the human nature that says you will never be good enough. And mm. just learning how to use it as fuel and in some ways use it as a compass. What is it trying to mm. keep from accomplishing? Mm. Yeah, I think that's so really beautiful piece. So we've gotten pretty deep on sports psychology here. <laughs> yeah. We've gotten uh, pretty deep on sports psychology. Let's talk a little bit, because you used to coach. I've only had one, one running coach, and that was you. And All right. And to any credit, <laughs> my biggest mistake was not doing it several years earlier. Um, All right. That's good. It's good to hear. Bit. <laughs> yeah. When you trained me, uh, one of the things that you were big on was training by uh, time and uh, heart rate effort as opposed to pace and, and things like that, which I've since uh, completely agree with and, and, and tell people. Tell us a little bit about why that's how you prescribe that as a coaching method with uh, Lightfoot coaching. Sure, yeah. Um, and those are two modalities uh, that I use. Um, I kind of uh, like to have a toolbox these days of both both time, RPE, heart rate, um, and, and, and of course, distance. Um, at the time, heart rate and distance for you. Um, time specifically, I like to prescribe for individuals who have been historically self-critical um, of distance or uh, maybe historically get a little bit of anxiety with, oh my God, I have six miles. I can't believe it's five more miles to go. And And the cool part with time passing is that, you know, you can have a horrible day and uh, RPE five heart rate, 140 beats per minute, um, and cover, uh, six miles in an hour. Uh, or you can have a fantastic day and this as a pretty fit person, I guess, um, or a fantastic day where, you know, you cover nine miles in an hour, RPE five heart rate, 140 beats per minute. Um, and, and you did an hour worth of work on each of those days here, regardless of distance versus, you know, I give you eight miles, uh, on a bad day that might take an hour and a half, um, uh, on a great day that might take an hour. Um, and now we have a 30 minute discrepancy worth of workload there. So that was one of the advent, right. uh, advantages there of time. Um, heart rate is a great metric to follow. It is folly to a lot of different things, uh, throughout the summer, specifically heat really throws it off. COVID-19, uh, threw it off for a while there during the pandemic. Um, and, and, and so heart rate heat, can, but with yeah. heat, wouldn't you say that if you're running at a 150 heart rate and you're having to run slower because it's hot outside isn't it pretty much the same yeah it's it's nice it's um i like i like heart rate as a i like using if athletes and that's another thing is coaching remote athletes i don't have heart rate monitors to give out everybody because everybody's strewn across the nation world who i coach and um and so not everybody's a heart rate monitor. A lot of the times they'll rely on the wrist monitors that are not as accurate as the chest monitors. Um, Those are not. And I was waiting for you to say yeah. that. They're not. They, yeah. They, I buy the the armband ones are great then. Okay. I, I don't like okay. chest straps. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. I've, I've actually, a, and I've, I've actually done testing where I grabbed uh, a heart rate monitor and compared it during exercise, like how much of a delta is there. Oh, cool. Nice, right. man. 
Yeah, um, but I was just going to say for heart rate, uh, I, I like training folks who uh, folks who are beginning, uh, so, so beginners who are getting into ultras, um, as a way so they can learn their internal RPE of one to ten scale, and then I like using it as a check in once in a while uh, for folks. Yeah. For instance, for running in the heat, and you go, "Hey, uh, Dan, go run an RPE six uh, today." And you're going and running RPE six. Okay, what what heart rate does that correlate to? Oh, okay, like I thought, it correlates to about an eight thirty pace. Um, that 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 seems about right. And then you can go back to not using a heart rate monitor for a bit until the next check in. I find you can actually do games with yourself to make it more intriguing on the easy yeah. day, where you say you're not your heart rate's not allowed to go beyond say one forty, and that actually makes it fun to me, say, <laughs> well, that'll force me to go easy because I'm the kind of person who, if I go out there and I'm feeling good that day, well, I'm, I'm yeah. going to and, Yeah. And that's very, very counterintuitive to building up a, a great performance. Yeah. I'm just going on. It um so it, it it's 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 nice that. it it stifles it it stifles that that ego from uh, or, yeah. or that that sort of ego from 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 going ahead and doing that and um yeah it's uh it's interesting good point <laughs> yeah yeah there's days to run with the fast pack and there's days to run with the slow pack and just kind of how that falls into your training um, so let's talk a little bit about um, some basic gait analysis we're going from grit to gait now sure and yeah. uh, there is kind of a transition in there, but uh, when you look at gait analysis, and this is uh, the reason I'm not running now, is I've I've had for uh, seven years now, I've had back pain when I run, and I I think a large part of it was due to tearing my hamstring seven years ago, and I never mm. quite had a good gait to start with, but it got much worse after that. So when you think about, I heard you on another interview talking about hip flexor tightness being one of the issues, which I certainly have. Um, mm. I forgot the name of the test where you do basically like you lay on your back and do a figure four. It starts with an N. It's a Tom, uh, one of them is a Thomas test is the common one. Uh, Thomas test is right. the common one and, for hip flexors. Uh, right. And uh, anyways, what are some of the ways that you su suggest people to really work on their hip flexors and open them up so they get a better stride? Mm, mm. In terms of opening up the hip flexors. Yeah, it's a great question. Um so I'm a really big fan of Thomas Meyer's uh, whole concepts of um, what are called myofascial trains. Um, he wrote a book called Anatomy Trains a while back um, and trains a whole legion of physical therapists, massage workers, uh, body workers, um, and uh, and gate analysts um, in terms of in terms of these fascial trains. And so the hip flexors are on this train called the deep front line. Um, which is so muscle fascia sits in muscle fascia is the uh, sort of uh, web like spider web like uh, material that if you know we we cut into a human and we saw the muscle there would be this sticky stuff that surrounds muscles and and that's the muscle fascia um, that is interconnected to uh, in different chains throughout the body and one of those like I said is the deep front line. And so the hip flexors connect down into the adductors um, and connect up into the, oh, what do they connect up into? I don't know what they connect into up above exactly, but down below they connect into certainly the adductor groups or sartorius gracilis and those guys. Um, and I would suggest in terms of a person who's trying to work on increasing their hip flexors, um, gentle stretches such as, you know, a pigeon pose, um, Cossack squats, uh, that kind of a thing that, you know, a weighted pose if for yeah. someone like me is not a gentle stretch. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's an aggressive one, but that should okay. tell you how much I need this. Yeah. So yeah what yeah. was the other one? Pigeon pose and what was the other uh, one? Cossack squats, which are, oh, yeah, um, Cossack. sort of like a, side, yeah. a side lunge, like a fancy side mm -hmm. lunge, essentially. Um, those, there's some certain yoga poses I can think of, like warrior one and warrior two, which are great for opening the ad adductors. Um, it's the adductor group that you want to open. And, um, you can do some, some gentle mobilizations, maybe with a softball or a foam roller on the inside yeah. of the thigh as well. Um, and work on pinning and stretching. So pin down that muscle and then, and then kick that leg forward and go through that pinning and stretching or work real well too for loosening up that deep front line. Um, and then in terms of the hip flexors themselves, my last point I'll make is, uh, banded marches. Um, and by doing yeah. those, um, uh, my, one of my favorite quotes is a, uh, is a, 
as a weak, as a tight muscle is also a weak muscle. So often if the hip flexors are tight, uh, they're often probably weak simultaneously. Um, and that muscle's contracted into a, into a tighter state because it's weak. And so if you're doing some banded hip flexion, um, that can really help strengthen and loosen the muscle. I'll paraphrase, uh, an alternative idea that a tight muscle is usually also, it might be, it might be weak, but it's making up for a weakness somewhere else. Absolutely. So, yeah. Example, that too. <laughs> um, in my case, I have a weak, uh, right glute. So my back gets super tight because it goes straight from my hamstring to my back. And one of the mm. two has to pick up the load. Yeah. Um, great points. The one other thing I'll add on the exercises and I've seen, I'm, I'm by no means a trainer, but uh, I've been doing this lately is it's very similar to the contact squat that you mentioned, but you basically get on your knees with a kettlebell and do like this sideways lunge and just sort of. Yeah. Open. Yeah. That's another wonderful ad adductor stretch. It's, it's, yeah. And, and I've been seeing more of that on with people who have uh, abductor issues. I've actually been trying it. It's, it's, it's actually a lot. It look, when you watch it, it looks like you're not doing anything, but it's actually yeah. exhausting to your inner thigh. He's yeah, gonna see you try it, and it's like, Whoa. so let's talk a little. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk a little bit about uh, shoes. Um, I know that uh, you're. I think we share a passion for wide open shoes here. Oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And uh, it's. I'm gonna give you a. a uh, first, I want to ask, what are your go to shoes uh, for the trail right now? I and I, I think you, you're an ultra person, right? Yeah, yeah, I like Ultra and uh, Ultra and Topo are the two companies that I like wearing a bunch. So I love Topo. In fact, um, it's yeah. funny you say that. You are the first person I've even ever met or, or even oh, talked man. to that knew what Topo was. <laughs> oh, I mean, it's, it's so funny you yeah. mentioned that. They need because, to get more uh, on their marketing. A, yeah, they do. They do. And actually, their shoes, um, they, they're they not well marketed. Uh, they're not well pitched. But um, they had a trail shoe. That was a perfect alternative to an ultra because it had like a four mil drop on it. Yeah, and I, I, uh, I just used up my last. I had bought like several of them that were um, open box, and and I just used up my last pair, so I'm gonna have to get back Man. out there. But I'm glad you yeah. said that. Topos, ultras. Yeah, um, it's it's just it's difficult when you talk about wide feet because even if I buy like an extra wide hokey, it still pinches in the wrong places. So it's mm. kind of tricky finding a good so, wide shoe. Once so, you get so used the, to wide shoe, it's hard to go back. Yeah, there's a big difference between and it, and it, and it's funny. I was explaining this to my dad just the other day, who's dealing with a bunion on his fifth metatarsal or his pinky toe. Yeah, and um. Yeah. There's a diff. He's like, oh, I have all wide shoes. What the heck? It shouldn't be squishing me over. Uh, when when you buy a wide shoe, so we're talking a D width to a two E or a four E width, um, the entire shoe it becomes wider. It's still a pinchy shoe up in the front. It's still a narrow toed shoe box. It's just you bought a shoe that has a wider heel um, and everything like that in it. But it's still it's still a narrow toe box uh, versus a wide toe box shoe. Um, very similar sounding to a wide to a wide shoe. A wide toe box shoe like an ultra or a topo may still have a narrow midsole so it can capture your foot properly in a narrow heel but its toe box area is much wider i just wanted to bring this out while you were talking yeah yeah this there you go man lifesaver the shoe widener this is a nice. shoe stretcher <laughs> and so uh, I, I wanted to just sort of reiterate your point about them being tied up top, right? Yeah. Okay. Oh, uh, so yeah. I have, I, I have bought this thing maybe three months ago and it has saved me, especially with business casual shoes mm. that were wide, but not wide yeah. enough. I have been able to stretch them out with this thing and I've like, it has given my shoes a new line. Because nice. now I don't get headaches when I put my feet in it, and I, that's what happens if a shoe's a little narrow for me. I get a headache. Interesting. Okay. And I'll, yeah, and it's pretty quick too. Um, when I was on the race team, uh, we were sponsored by Solomon, and at the time, all they had was these super narrow shoes. Man, I couldn't mm. wear any of them, so I just gave them all away. But okay. that shoe stretcher has been a game changer for like my business. And that this was my follow up question: Do you mostly just wear like? Uh, do you wear any type of business casual shoe? Yeah, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm 100, um, 100 wear wide shoes. Um, there's a company called um, uh, Lems that I like, L E M S, uh, that makes wide-toed uh, mm -hmm. business casual shoes and casual shoes. Um, 
uh, Zero Shoes, which is X-E-R-O Shoes, um, makes a bunch of business casual shoes as well. And then um, there's another company called Ground Fuels or something like that, um, that that my wife picks me up a couple pair of those pairs of those occasionally. Um, I used I used to love Allbirds. Uh, Allbirds were a favorite of mine for a bit, and then it's just the narrowness of them from um, being in other shoes. I, I had to shift out. So. Um, oh. But yeah, I like you, I, as much as I as much as I love the look of the Allbirds and I have a few pairs, um, the insoles are crap. And yeah. so what I do <laughs> is I take um, Crocs makes the best insoles, They're super <laughs> coney and soft. You're not alone so in I that. take the Crocs insoles out and I put them in my Allbirds, and nice. I, just, I call it my bastard shoe because it's yeah, it's yeah. Two different things. But, <laughs> it's uh, all Croc. That's what I have found to work. All <laughs> Croc. Yeah, yeah Croc birds. So we've, we've kind of run the gamut here. Um, tell us a little bit about, um, I know you've got uh, uh, some coaching and a race, a race promotion that you wanted to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my wife and I both own um, Lightfoot Coaching, and so we take on endurance athletes. Uh, primarily, we work with a lot of beginners, so folks who are looking to get into half marathons, marathons, stepping into their first Ultra 50K or something like that. Uh, work with a couple pros, uh, but mostly mo- mostly beginners and everything. Um, and we range from working on sports psychology. We cover a little bit of sports nutrition. Uh, certainly, my background is in is in gait analysis and um, movement analysis. Um, and then, uh, yeah, we have a promotion going on right now where if folks sign up uh, before the, well, if you sign up with us, basically you get fifteen percent off any of the Run Catalina events. So Catalina Island off of. Uh, California, there's beautiful, beautiful place to go. They host a marathon, half marathon, a 50K and a 50 miler um, at different yeah. dates. Uh, their 50K and 50 milers come up in January. And if you sign up with us, you get 15% off. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, the most beautiful destination race I did, and actually, uh, Rob Cronar, uh, he was second, I think, that year. Of course, he was. It was the Sonoma, yeah. Sonoma 50. Okay. Cool, man. It, that that race, I tell people all the time. It's a lottery. It's a, it was the last year before they made it a lottery. But okay, that is the one of the most beautiful destination races. Just fifty mm. miles of gorgeous hills, and I mean that's the pro- that's cool. It's all rolling. But, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice man. Yeah, Northern California's yeah. got some beautiful races, and that's kind of what Catalina is is for uh, a lot of first timers and stuff. It's a, it's rolling hills the whole time, but it's all on a fire road, so it's really. Uh, a nice approachable first 50k or first 50 miler for a lot of folks which is nice and, and a lovely destination area so i'll, I'll i want to end with uh one quick uh insight from you on nutrition and i know i know the the common thing that everybody says is know your body i, I but beyond that i would like to know nicodemus what what is your, how do you fuel yourself on a typical training day not necessarily for mm. a race yeah, so I'm a big um oh man. So so I'll give you, I'll give you the shortest uh shortest directest answer I can to it. Um I I am on the elimination diet, which is uh basically no gluten, no corn, no dairy, no uh no a lot of things. Uh no soy, that kind of thing. Um I've I've been on it for a while now, so I've I've brought soy back in and um I am occasionally folly to things such as pastries, uh, pizzas, uh, other other things. Uh, so I'm 95% on the elimination diet. But in general, I try to trend 100% towards it. Uh, do I get it all the time? No. Uh, but I strongly believe kind of in an anti-inflammatory diet in general. Um, and, you know, taking in foods that, that don't contribute to inflammation. Um, I do that both for my mental health and for my physical health. It is amazing to me... Uh... This I, I did certainly didn't plan to talk about this, but um, when your blood sugar is out of control during, especially during an, an event, how much that takes a toll on you mentally. Uh, I, I when I used to do just the gels, I used to get so my ups and downs were so dramatic. It was like a roller mm. coaster where I would just crash, and I ended up going with a little bit more of a slow car type approach uh, and. And if it's if it's the last leg of a race, I'll switch to simple sugars just because they're easier on my stomach, and I don't have to worry about a crash in an hour or something like that. But mm. it is amazing to me when you talked about your emotional health and stuff, where uh, 
nutrition plays a big role because your blood sugar swings. It, it really affects your brain and your body all, all the time. Yeah, um, and that, that's and if you're not, and if it if it impacts your sleep, then it's a whole different level of mental thought. Yeah, that's something I'm, I'm presently learning a lot more of through my wife, uh, who's is much more uh, uh, knows a heck of a lot more about it through me from her functional medicine master's degree. But um, yeah, um, I, I'm I'm curious to learn. I'd, I'd like to learn more about the whole uh, blood sugar, mental health relationship, and everything like that. I've just just began to learn it. Well, um, it's it's come a long way technology-wise because with uh, these companies like Levels, you just pop the thing on your arm and your smartphone will tell you exactly what your blood sugar is 24-7. You'll find out real quick if that meal you ate causes your yeah. blood sugar to spike. That's and cool. One of the most interesting things when they've studied large groups of people with blood sugar is that it turns out um, there is definitely a lot of truth to knowing your body because there are things like chickpeas that don't affect, say, People from Middle Eastern, okay, it doesn't gotcha. spike their blood sugar nearly as much as some other people. They'll have chickpeas and it spikes their blood sugar. Weird. The example they used, in, yeah, the example they used in the book was, uh, or in the study was, um, there are people that a tomato would spike their blood sugar super high, and then there were people saying, "No wonder I feel like crap. I eat salads every day, thinking I'm doing myself a favor, <laughs> and I throw like two or three tomatoes in there." Yeah, yeah. But the point of that is, is to say, there's technology, Nicodemus, that you can leverage to say, "Is this serving me?" And yeah. How old are you now, Nicodemus? Uh, thirty-two. Yeah. So. Thirty-two. Okay. Yeah. Um, I've I've got plenty of years on you, so I was going to yeah. say after forty, the the things that you're looking out now. Just go ahead and turn that knob from like a two to a seven as far oh, as... Oh, man. gets more sensitive. You will find... Well, you'll, you'll be way more interested in conserving. That's part of the podcast name, right? Is Chasing Energy is mm. you become much more aware of how much energy it's costing you. And you're like, I have to fix this. Whereas when mm. you're in the 20s and early 30s, it's, it's kind of like... You can get away on gummy bears. It's fine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You can, yeah it's it's you fascinating can thinking about that, though, like... Yeah, it's fascinating thinking about that, though, from like a 40-year-old perspective. How much better could you have been if, but, <laughs> you know. Oh, and, and not just not just in nutrition. Trust me. I mean, oh, I yeah. back up my career now and go, oh, man, if I had just made two or three tweaks there, or if I had invested in this, or if I had not mm. dated that person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Come up with all sorts of things. Sure. But you're making a lot of good decisions, Nicodemus, and uh, I'm really proud to have you on the show. I... Uh, am also really uh, inspired by how you are so outspoken about the things that you struggle with personally in terms of depression and how you make a point of letting people know you're not alone. And just because, for example, I can, you know, I'm a very mentally strong person, it doesn't mean that I have it all together, right? Yeah. We all yeah. have these struggles. Um, we we don't need to have this uh being clear about, we talked about the people in your car, right? Mm -hmm. The Nicodemus that, that sort of beats you up and the Nicodemus that gives you grace. And just knowing like, you know, there, there are years where I've let the wrong person drive at the wrong times and it's cost me. But you're mm -hmm. still here and, yeah. and, and you're still helping people. And, and I'm really proud of you, man. Uh, thanks for all you do for the sport and oh, for, thank for you. the people who uh, follow you, man. Yeah. yeah, thank you so much, Dan. Uh, lovely, lovely to be here, man. All right, man. So. All right. Appreciate you, buddy. Cool. All right, man.